Warning, the following contains spoilers pertaining to the show and subject matter discussed. Also, strong language and adult content may be, well, will be included. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you. That is correct. Just take 47th all the way down towards 6th Avenue and you'll run right into Rockefeller Center and Radio City. Just a few blocks up from it. Mm-hmm. Sure. We'd be happy to take your picture for you. Thank you. I guess we are just examples that all New Yorkers aren't mean. <laughs> Though, to be honest, we aren't originally from New York. We're actually originally from Utah. What's that? Mm, no, we're not Mormon. There are actually quite a few non-Mormons in Utah now. What? No, we didn't serve missions. <laughs> mainly for the reason that we, we aren't Mormon. <laughs> huh. I, I mean, if you believe everything they said on the stage, I, I guess then we could qualify as Mormons. After all, as Elder Price and Cunningham would depict... All of Salt Lake City is made up of good Mormons. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, have fun on your tour of Radio City. Just stay right on 47th. Yep, you'll run right into it. Take care now. Bye. Wow. Yeah. I guess it's going to be a curse that'll follow us around for the rest of our lives. I tend to look at it as a blessing. I mean, hey... Everyone knows our hometown. True, and I guess this does give us an excuse to have a little fun and mess with people. You're the worst. Welcome to Stage Whisper. I'm your host, Hope Bird, and with me is my co-host, Andrew Cortez. Today we are going to be discussing the hilarious show, The Book of Mormon. So hurry and take your seats, it looks like the show is starting. Hello everyone. Welcome into today's performance of Stage Whisper. Have you heard of the All-American Prophet? Well, if not, we are here to inform you of him. Or at least the 2011 musical version brought to us by the subject of today's show, The Book of Mormon. This hilarious and irreverent show brought to the stage a brilliant story about the power and danger of religious dogma forced on a third world people by its first world church. And at the center of it, one of the most famous organizations in the world, the LDS Church. But we've already preached too far. First, let us begin with the first chapter in our groundwork. The Book of Mormon was conceived by Trey Parker, Matt Stone, and Robert Lopez. Parker and Stone grew up in Colorado and were familiar with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and its members. 
They became friends at the University of Colorado Boulder and collaborated on a musical film, Cannibal the Musical. Their first experience with movie musicals. In 1997, they created the TV series South Park for Comedy Central, and in 1999, the musical film South Park Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. The two had first thought of a fictionalized Joseph Smith, religious leader and founder of the Latter-day Saint movement, while working on an aborted Fox series about historical characters. During the summer of 2003, Parker and Stone flew to New York City to discuss the script of their new film, Team America World Police, with friend and producer Scott Rudin, who also produced South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. Rudin advised the duo to see the musical Avenue Q on Broadway, finding the cast of marionettes in Team America similar to the puppets of Avenue Q. Parker and Stone went to see the production during the summer, and the writer-composers of Avenue Q, Lopez, and Jeff Marks, noticed them in the audience and introduced themselves. Lopez revealed that South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut was highly influential in the creation of Avenue Q. The quartet went for drinks afterwards and soon found out that each camp wanted to write something involving Joseph Smith. The four began working out details nearly immediately, with the idea to create a modern story formulated early on. For research purposes, the quartet took a road trip to Salt Lake City, where they interviewed a bunch of missionaries, or ex-missionaries. They had to work around Parker and Stone's South Park schedule. In 2006, Parker and Stone flew to London, where they spent three weeks with Lopez, who was working on the West End production of Avenue Q. There, the three wrote four or five songs and came up with the basic idea of the story. After an argument between Parker and Marx, who felt he was not getting enough creative control, Marx was separated from the project. For the next few years, the remaining trio met frequently to develop uh, what they initially called the Book of Mormon, the musical of the Church of the Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. There was a lot of hopping back and forth between L.A. and New York, Parker recalled. Numerous changes were disclosed between the original script and the final production. A song named Family Home Evening, which was in the earlier workshops of the show, was cut. The warlord in Uganda was called General Coney in previews, but this was changed to General Butt-Fucking Naked. The song The Bible is a Trilogy went through a major rewrite to become All-American Prophet. The earlier version was based on how the third movie in movie trilogies is always the best one and sums up everything, which led to a recurring Matrix joke where the Ugandan man said, I thought the third Matrix was the worst one, which later changed to I have maggots in my scrotum in the rewritten version. The song Spooky Mormon Helldream was originally called H.E. Double Hockey Sticks. Lopez pushed to workshop the project, which confused Parker and Stone, clueless about what he meant. Developmental workshops were directed by Jason Moore and starred Cheyenne Jackson. Other actors in readings included Benjamin Walker and Daniel Reichard. The crew embarked on the first of a half dozen workshops that would take place during the next four years, ranging from 
30-minute mini performances for family and friends to much larger scale renderings of the embryotic show. They spent hundreds of thousands of dollars of their own money, still unconvinced they would take it any further. In February 2008, a fully staged reading starred Walker and Josh Gad as Elder Price and Cunningham, respectively. Moore was originally set to direct, but left the production in June 2010. Other directors, including James Lapine, were optioned to join the creative team, but the producers recruited Casey Nicola. A final five-week workshop took place in August 2010, when Nicola came to, on board as choreographer and co-director with Parker. This is the perfect time to introduce our design team. Book, music, and lyrics by Trey Parker, Robert Lopez, and Matt Stone. Directed by Trey Parker and Casey Nicola. Choreographed by Casey Nicola. Set design by Scott Pask. Costume design by Ann Roth. Lighting design by Brian McDevitt. Sound design by Brian Ronan. Hair design by Josh Marquette. Makeup design by Randy Houston Mercer. Producers Scott Rudin and Anne Garafino originally planned to stage the Book of Mormon off-Broadway at the New York Theatre Workshop in summer 2010, but opted to premiere it directly on Broadway. Quote, since the guys, Parker and Stone, work best when the stakes are highest, end quote. Rudin and Garafino booked the Eugene O'Neill Theatre and hired key players while sets were designed and built. The producers expected the production to cost $11 million, but it came in under budget at $9 million. Hundreds of actors auditioned and 28 were cast. The crew did four weeks of rehearsals with an additional two weeks of technical rehearsals and then went directly into previews. The producers first watched the finished production six days before the first paying audience. The show arrived at the Eugene O'Neill Theater on March 21st, 2011, where it still plays to this date. On March 12, 2020, the show suspended production due to COVID-19 pandemic, and on June 16, 2021, the show announced it would be returning to Broadway on November 5th. Currently, it has played 3,975 shows, making it the 14th longest-running Broadway show. That year, it would be nominated for 14 Tony Awards and would praise away with nine. Best Scenic Design of a Musical, Scott Pask. Best Lighting Design of a Musical, Brian McDevitt. Best Sound Design of a Musical, Brian Ronan. Best Book of a Musical for Robert Lopez, Matt Stone, and Trey Parker. Best Original Score, Robert Lopez, Matt Stone, Trey Parker. Best Orchestration, Stephen Ormus and Larry Hokum. Best Featured Actress in a Musical, to Nikki M. James, who played Nabolungi. Best Direction of a Musical, to Casey Nicola and Trey Parker, and Best Musical. The first North American tour began previews on August 14, 2012, at the Denver Center for the Performing Arts in Denver, Colorado, before moving to the Pantages Theater in Los Angeles beginning September 5th, with the official opening night for the tour on September 12th. Originally planned to begin in December 2012, production was pushed forward four months. Gavin Creel, Price, and Jared Gerther, Cunningham, led the cast until late December when West End performer Mark Evans and Christopher 
John O'Neill took over, allowing time for Creel and Gertner to begin rehearsals for their move to the West End production. As part of the tour, the musical was performed in Salt Lake City for the first time at the end of July and early August 2015. The tour closed on May 1st, 2016 in Honolulu, Hawaii. The first replica sit-down production, separate from the tour, began previews on December 11th, 2012 and officially opened on December 19th of that year at the Bank of America Theater in Chicago, Illinois as part of Broadway in Chicago. The limited engagement closed on October 6, 2013 and became the second U.S. national tour. A U.K. production debuted in the West End on February 25th 2013 at the Prince of Wales Theatre. Gavin Creel and Jared Gertner reprised their North American tour performances. The London cast members hosted a gala performance of the new musical on March 13, 2013, raising £200,000 for British charities, Comic Relief Red Nose Day. In March 2014, the Book of Mormon was voted funniest West End show as part of the 2014 West End Fame Awards. The show suspended production in March 2020 due to the COVID-19 pandemic in the UK. It reopened on November 15, 2021 at Prince of Wales Theatre following a performance at West End Live in Trafalgar Square on September 18, 2021. The original Australian production of Book of Mormon opened at Melbourne's Princess Theater on January 18th, 2017, where it broke box office records before it had even opened, and despite some controversy, won several Helpman Awards. The show opened the Sydney season at the Sydney Lyric Theater on February 28th, 2018, before the show toured to Brisbane, Adelaide, and Perth in 2019. The show was scheduled to open in Auckland, New Zealand at the Civic from March 6th to April 26th of 2020. However, due to the impact of COVID-19, all performances from March 17th, 2020 were canceled. Several other tours have since been mounted, including the UK and in Ireland, and several non-English international productions have since been mounted, including the first in Stockholm, followed by one in Oslo. The Book of Mormon contains many religious themes, most notably those of faith and doubt. Although the musical satirizes organized religion and the literal credibility of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons in the Book of Mormon are portrayed as well-meaning and optimistic, if a little naive and unworldly. In addition, the central theme that many religious stories are rigid out of touch and silly comes to the conclusion that essentially religion itself can do enormous good as long as it is taken metaphorically and not literally. Matt Stone, one of the show's creators, described the Book of Mormon as, quote, an atheist love letter to religion, end quote. So let us proceed two by two into our story. LDS Church Missionary Training Center, 
devout missionary-to-be elder Kevin Price leads his classmates in a demonstration of the door-to-door method in converting people to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Price believes if he prays enough, he will be sent to Orlando, Florida for his two-year mission. However, he and Elder Arnold Cunningham, an insecure, compulsive liar, find out that they will be instead sent to Uganda as a pair. Price is sure he is destined to do something incredible, while Cunningham is just happy to follow. Upon arrival in northern Uganda, the two are robbed by soldiers from a local warlord, General Butt-Fucking-Naked. They are welcomed to the village by Mafala Hatimbe, where a group of villagers share their daily reality of living in appalling conditions while being ruled by the general. To make their lives seem easier, the villagers repeat a phrase that translates as, Fuck you, God. Price and Cunningham are led to their living quarters by Nabulungi, Hatimbi's daughter. They meet their fellow missionaries stationed in the area who have been unable to convert anyone to the church. Elder McKinley, the district leader, teaches Price and Cunningham thought suppression. By the time they go to bed that night, Price is riddled with anxiety, but Cunningham reassures him that he will succeed and that as his companion, Cunningham will be by his side no matter what. Price is confident he can succeed where the other elders have failed. Teaching the villagers about Joseph Smith through a song that begins as a tribute to Smith, but eventually descends into a tribute by Price to himself. The general arrives and announces his demand for the, the genital mutilation of all female villagers. After a villager protests, the general murders him. Taking every last measure to protect her, Hatimbe commands Nabulungi to stay in their house with all doors locked and windows closed. She protests, insisting that the women of the village won't have to stay in hiding if they listen to the missionaries as they hold the secrets to liberation, protection, and eternal happiness. Though her protests to go out and talk to them fail, she calms down after remembering how she was moved by Price's promise of an earthly paradise and dreams of going to live in that new land with all her fellow villagers. The mission president has requested a progress report on their mission. Shocked by the execution and the reality of Africa, Price decides to abandon his mission and requests a transfer to Orlando. At the same time, Cunningham, ever loyal, assures Price he will follow him anywhere. However, Price unceremoniously dumps him as mission companion. Cunningham is crushed and alone, but when Nabulungi comes to him, wanting to learn more about the Book of Mormon and having convinced the villagers to listen to him, Cunningham finds the courage to make to take control of the situation. When the villagers at the top of Act 2 begin to get frustrated at Cunningham's teaching of the Book of Mormon and leave, Cunningham quickly makes up stories by combining what he knows of LDS doctrine with pieces of science fiction and fantasy. Cunningham's conscience, personified by his father, Joseph Smith, Hobbits, Lieutenant Uhura, Darth Vader, and Yoda, admonishes him. But he rationalizes that if it helps people, it surely cannot be wrong. 
Price joyfully arrives in Orlando, but then realizes that he is dreaming when his father questions him on if he left his mission companion. He is reminded of the nightmares of hell he had as a child and panics when his nightmares begin again. During the dream, he sees Jesus, Satan, Genghis Khan, Jeffrey Dahmer, Adolf Hitler, and Johnny Cochran. Price awakens and decides to recommit to his mission. Cunningham announces several Ugandans are interested in the church. McKinley points out that unless the general is dealt with, no one will convert. Price, seeing the chance to prove his worth, sets off on the mission he was born to do. After reaffirming his faith, he confronts the general, determined to convert him. The general is unimpressed and drags Price away. Cunningham concludes his preaching and the villagers were bap- are baptized, with Nobolongi and Cunningham sharing a tender moment as they do. Missionaries feel oneness with the people of Uganda and celebrate. Price is seen in the village doctor's office, having the Book of Mormon removed from his rectum. Meanwhile, the general hears of the villagers' conversion and resolves to kill them all. Having lost his faith, Price downs his sorrow in coffee. Cunningham finds Price and tells him they need to at least act like missionary companions, as the mission president is coming to visit the Ugandan mission. Price reflects on all the broken promises the church, his parents, his friends, and life in general made to him. Nabulangi and the villagers perform a pageant for the mission president to, quote, honor them with the story of Joseph Smith, the American Moses, end quote, which reflects the distortions put forth by Cunningham, such as having sex with a frog to cure their AIDS. The mission president is appalled orders all the missionaries to go home, and tells Nobolungi that she and her fellow villagers are not members. Nobolungi, heartbroken at the thought that she will never reach paradise, curses God for forsaking her. Price has had an epiphany and realizes Cunningham was right all along. Though scriptures are important, what is more important is getting the message across. The general arrives and Nombolongi is ready to submit to him, telling the villagers that Cunningham's stories are untrue. She also explains that they will never see him again, but protects his reputation in their eyes by saying a lion ate him. To Nombolongi's shock, they respond that they have always known that the stories were metaphors rather than the literal truth. Price and Cunningham arrive just in time to use Cunningham's lies of the latter being resurrected after being eaten by lions to scare the general and his men away. Price rallies the members of the church and the Ugandans to work together to make their paradise. Later, the newly minted Ugandan elders, including the general, go door to door to evangelize the Book of Arnold. The The end. end.
So, now we discuss the parts of the show that we liked and maybe could use work. Wow, yeah. You feel good about that? I always feel good about that. I'll, I'll keep coming up with new ways to reinvent it. I think I'll go first. I found... I found this show to be offensive and jarring and crude and irreverent and downright hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look at that. That's called misleading. No, I, it, it was. It was that, like... Okay, it was that South Park humor that you were... It's the humor that everybody truly thinks or, you know, wants to tell the joke but can't and you see it and you're laughing and you're like, I'm a horrible person for laughing at that. I shouldn't be laughing at that, but I am. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it is the comedy that's okay. Like, it's not something offensive that we're like, we shouldn't be making jokes about that per se. Um... It's definitely kind of like blue comedy. But at the same time, it's that... I can't believe they went there kind of comedy. Okay. And, um... It's just... I mean, if you know Matt Stone and Trey Parker, when people are like, I can't believe that they did this, I'm like, well, then you haven't seen what else they've done. I mean, not just South Park, but I love... As we were reading, you know, the groundwork information, you read about Cannibal the Musical. Cannibal the Musical. And you literally, as you read it, got super excited. And I was like, oh, is your heart as big as a baked potato? Yes, it's a spadoinkle day, Andrew. I mean, (laughs) this is not the first time that they've done ridiculous things that make you go, oh my god, what? Yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, there's something to be said for comedy that is so wrong, it's right. Yes. Um, I mean, this show is one of those, like, you take a subject, like, take an entire church, and then just go, yeah, we're going to make fun of that. Um, And I, (laughs) while they're using the LDS church as their vehicle of what they're making fun of as religion, it does go on to kind of comment that how, basically, you know, Religion has meaning because you give it meaning. So whatever, you know, as long as you're taking the good metaphors from it, then it's fine. And we can make fun of the rest. Right. Well, I mean, it's, uh, as it's been mentioned several times already, it's a brilliant commentary on the effects of organized religion from the first world on the third world, i.e. colonization. Yeah. Um, And I think you can't do that with, as Will and Grace so greatly put it, you know, it was it was bad of you to shame him. You just shamed him so abruptly in front of all of his friends. Well, he was stealing that woman's heart medication. A light and breezy tone just wouldn't cut it. When you're dealing with something that big, you can't just kind of tongue-in-cheek and lightly do it. If you're going to go after, I'll say, religious dogma like that, you go after it. You mm-hmm. You... You can't do the one toe in the water. Either you're all in or you're not. Because if you do it one toe in the water, it is... I think it's more offensive that way than the other way. Mm -hmm. You know, if you go all in, if you go ham... I mean, I think people kind of credit you and go, Well, hey, you took that risk. Like, that was bold. I may not agree with it, but man, that was bold for you to... To, to write a whole song about F.U. God. You know what I mean? Like, I, 
That really, right. or, or to drop the see you next Tuesday word left, right, and center, which I think in other markets, I'm thinking of over like in the UK or Australia, they may not have the same shock, sicker shock value that here in the US, especially in Broadway, we were like, we don't say those words. We don't say those words on the Broadway stage. No, 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 no. And all of a sudden, you know, it's it's here, there, and everywhere. And I was like, okay, I it, it, it was literally my mentality during the pandemic when I was like, I don't think this is this is bottom. Things can't get worse, you know. And the murder hornets appeared, and I was like, I'm I'm just gonna stop. <laughs> it's always gonna get worse. Maybe reverse psychology. That's where I kind of went where I was like, I'm not going to say, like, we can't do things on the stage or say things because someone's going to, like, hear my thought and be like, oh, really? (laughs) Well, and I think at the end of it, um, you know, the comedy, I mean, there's truth in comedy, right? So the the jokes weren't arising just to try to make people feel bad. The jokes came from the truth and the implications of... What's happening? Well, yeah, and 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 knowing, the, I love the satirization of the uh, of church, particularly the LDS church. And what I loved is that Trey Parker and Matt Stone were familiar enough with the LDS church that there were jokes for people who were just familiar, like like had a brush with the LDS church, like the missionaries might have knocked on your door, and you may know just a few things about it. And then there were jokes for people that actually like. Like us, who grew up in Utah, or had f- like we have friends that are or members who of the church. We've attended LDS church, right? And so there were there were these great moments that I was like, "You're all laughing at how outrageous this moment this sounds. You have no idea that this is this is not a made up thing. Mm-hmm. Collab, yeah, that's a thing. Like mm-hmm. this is not them being creative. Like what is the most outrageous? No, no, guys, this is." That's a thing. Truth in comedy. The 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 opening scene when they do the I'm Marona. You know, and they're doing the South Park voices. I'm like, I can't tell you how many videos I've seen of this act. I can't tell you how many pageants I've gone to support friends. I was like, there there were people in the audience that were just like, Oh, what a clever little like, you know, story they've come up with. I'm like, no guys, like this is <laughs> this is it. This is what you know, and and I felt like, and, I, and look, I, I'm speaking as a non-member, so so this is my opinion, and I and I, and obviously no disrespect to any religion, particularly the LDS, but I felt like though it was irreverent, it was not falsely or offensively portraying the LDS Church. It wasn't throwing shade on them, and that they were like. Look how horrible these people were. It yeah. was poking fun at what they were believing. Because mm-hmm. some of it, for people on the outside, we go, wow, that's that's a little out there. But at the same time, I mean, there are people that look at religions and go, wow, that's a little out there on all ends. It's not just the LDS religion. Oh, yeah, it happens with all religion. Yeah, um, and, and, that's, and that's the world we live in. And so I like that they were... They, they did not, they could have put it in a really negative place and instead they were like, no, we're, we want you to have fun with this. And, and the other thing I really liked about it is living in Utah, coming from Utah, I'm not a Mormon. Got a lot of good friends that are Mormon. I do hate hearing that the LDS church is a cult. 
because I'm like, it's not a cult. It's a church. They're not a cult. You know, I, I you know, we, we have heard stories of cults. And I'm like, this is not a cult. They don't need to call their dad. You know, it's all good. Um, so I like that they kind of depicted of like, guys, it's normal. It's just like any other church. It's, it's just they do things a little differently, and that's fine. Because if the LDS church is a cult, then let me give another list of cults. The longest running cult ever, the Catholic church. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Actually, so. that's not the r- longest running cult. Well, but you know what I yes. mean, yeah. But the other thing I want to say before we start kind of, you know, delving into everything... Um, I think it's important to realize the difference in terminology. When you say member or an LDS person or refer to it as the LDS church, that's kind of the church. That's, you know, how we're referring to it um, with respect, I guess. And then when we start using words like Mormon or um, mostly Mormon, (laughs) um, that's more of how society views members. I, that I would think they refer to that now as slang because they don't like yes. to be called Mormons. Their their prophet, you'd think I'd remember his name. Uh, who it is right now? Yeah, I think it's Nelson. I, don't I, I think know. it's I believe it's Nelson. Um, look at that, not a member. I'm pretty sure. I'm almost certain it's Nelson. Pro, the prophet Nelson. I can't think of his name, um, but. He came out and he was just like, you know, we need to embrace and, and really be known as Latter-day Saints. And listen, in this era of identity and, and making sure that we address people with the correct identity, I think it's important. I was like, okay, so you don't want to be known as Mormons. Fine. That's what you want to be called. It's a mouthful. But, okay, that's who you are. Well, if I'm expecting you to do the same when it comes to pronouns and things like that, then I should probably do the same on this end so if we do refer to mormons just know that it's slang or it's more tied to the musical musical and or just how uh society views lds culture but as a teaching moment they are latter-day saints if you have friends or you meet them they're latter-day saints they're latter-day saints you can call them lds they're okay with that you can you know i mean honestly if you know anyone who's from the church it's called the church it's not the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints it's you know the church and members yeah so now that we got that out of the way i i I want to add one more thing because you know we 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 talk about the show and we've talked a lot about about church but I want to just mention something about the story that I love, and we're going to dive into other elements of the story that I love. But one thing that really stood out um, is, and I, I having seen the show several times, I can now I thought it was just improv, but I now see that it's in the script. But I do know that they change it. I love that, and I related to this. Cunningham cannot say Nubalungi's name, and every time he says her name, it's a different thing. Nespresso, Nasenek, Netscape, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just like, oh my God, I thought at first I'm going to relate to you because I look like you. Curly hair, a little bigger, da 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 da. You can't not only say people's name, but you can't remember their name. Oh, you know? That, that also shows, you know, it's a very distinctive choice to show his privilege of not being able to be bothered to learn her name correctly. Well, I mean, yes, and, and but, like, I relate... Okay, so, like, I was at the Tonys. Total brag. I was sitting next to an absolutely gorgeous human being. Gorgeous dress. 
Um, they were their name is Logan, and I could not remember that for the life of me. And so every little while, I was like, "Please forgive me." Your name was uh, ne- uh, right, Neil, uh, and there we go, Logan, 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 Logan. Okay, I'm so sorry. I'm so you know, and I was like, "Why is Logan so hard to remember?" Mm-hmm. You know, is your name William? You know, and so I don't know then to say that it's privilege. I just think it's funny that 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 Utah kindness is just like I'm gonna just make a running attempt at it and hope you know. And and I'm so nice that so you'll forgive me. And I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> but it plays so well. Speaking of plays so well. Why don't we move on to the set, which many people refer to as the playground for the play. Okay. I I want to meet these people. They sound like real party animals. They're NPR tote bags. (laughs) This is the show today, folks. Um, Look, I thought the set was fantastic. And... um, it was mostly like brilliant paintings. I'm going somewhere with this. Anyone that's ever been in, inside the LDS, an LDS church, they have these beautiful paintings all around the church. So a lot of the set, particularly the backdrops, reminded me of those paintings that you would see mm-hmm. around the church. One of my favorite backdrops is the opening backdrop because... Oh my God. So fun fact, the Missionary Training Center... Mission Control Center is actually in Provo, but you know, for all intents and purposes, they put it in Salt Lake. Which, being from Salt Lake, we're like, ah. But you look at this beautiful backdrop of Salt Lake City, the gorgeous mountains. There's you downtown. see the beautiful you. Uh, you see the beautiful Wasatch Mountains in the background. And there's downtown, and it's beautiful decked out. But if you're a local, they put these little Easter eggs in there, like the giant Apollo Burger or Crown Burger sign, mm-hmm. because. There are a million different, like, burger joints that are all basically the same. Apollo Burger, Crown Burger, Olympus Burger. They're all from, like, the same, like... Greek family. Yeah, that just kind of have branched out. But they're, they're, they go by this, you know, something burger. It's the same menu, same family. So we all know that there's, like, a Crown Burger, essentially, well, everywhere. Right? And then there's the classic... Zion's Bank sign. Brown and tan Zion's Bank stein. Yeah. yeah, so they have these just, like, iconic little signs kind of on the bottom. And so everyone's admiring this beautiful scenescape. And if you're from Utah, you see all this, and you're like, oh, my God absolutely like and don't get me wrong Salt Lake is beautiful but I was just like yep yep that that's a it more accurate mm-hmm. <laughs> so and then the and then the um, proscenium is done up like the temple yeah so it has a lot of the the themes that they follow for the the temple architects yes because at the top there's the angel Moroni mm-hmm. blowing his Dizzy Gillespie trumpet uh-huh. I got my offensive joke out of the way. But yeah, they've got these like beautiful temple windows that build up. And, and mm-hmm. just the, the general palette for all of the sets were just warm tones. Right. And they did a beautiful job going between this very clean cut, proper Salt Lake City into Uganda. Yeah. Uh, oh, one other thing I want to mention. The airport scene 
at in it, that's what the old Salt Lake Airport used to look like. Oh yes, the like, new one's really really nice, but the old one, like literally, when they when they showed, I was like, mm, yep. That's what it feels like there. <laughs> and then of course I'm just laughing at like Air Uganda direct flight from Salt Lake, and I'm like, okay. Right, but. Uh, you know, but I it, it the set was great and simple. Nothing necessarily flashbang boom, it, but it did exactly what it needed to do, which was great. And I want to group something in here with the set, which I think needs to be mentioned, which is the props. There are some really clever, iconic props. You want to give props to the props? Oh, Lord. <laughs> with you're, you're hanging out with the tote bag people again, aren't you? Uh-huh. Dun, 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 dun. Anyway, um, you know, you had these great props like the typewriter. The dead hog, the minute they arrive in Uganda, the luggage, the donuts, you know, all these great things. The number of Book of Mormons that existed that were probably swiped from a Marriott. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, from the Marriott Marquis. Um, yeah, I mean, they're just iconic things that you remember. You know, some shows you really are like, these sets were... Da, da, da. I remember the, like I said, the temple on the Marquis. And then those backdrops, but then more than anything, I remember these basic um, props that really helped forward the show. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to give some love to that. Um, speaking of things I want to give love to, should we go on to the costumes? I mean, of course, costumes by Anne Roth. I mean... Anne Roth, proud supporter of MP... Oh, I'm kidding. Oh I'll gosh. get off that joke now. Um, <laughs> so with it being done by Anne Roth, there's only one way to describe them. Iconic. Amazing. Fantastic. She really does great work. Mm-hmm. Um, she nailed the missionary look down to the T. I mean, I the minute they came out, I was like, yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Everything about that. Yep. And mm-hmm. she nailed the stigma of what the Utah, like the typical Utah looks like. The stigma, I want to say. Not like, if you guys went to Utah today, that's probably not... Oh, Guaranteed, that's not what you'd see everywhere. No, but, but like the fact, that stigma is right. I mean, the fact that there was like the t-shirt underneath the cami dress. That's, yes, and like you know the high-waisted shorts and the dad with the mustache and the big old glasses. You know, mm-hmm. I was just like, yep, mm-hmm. yep. Um, also, I love the detail that was paid to the uh, clothes that the Ugandans were wearing yes. because it was a lot of you know, like where the t-shirts go to die. Oh when my gosh. you make the t-shirts for the, the losing the losing the team. The to rule team. That it says it. And then it gets sent to like a, a third world country as a donation. Yep. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and it was another emphasis of first world, I hate to say oppression on third world, but it's like, oh, we're helping by just dumping our trash on you. Like, mm-hmm. you know. Oh yeah. No, that was a really smart, mm-hmm. like elbow in the ribs, like see, see. Um, I thought they were had really clever costumes throughout the rest of the show. I mean, the hell scene, those devil costumes mm-hmm. were really, really great. The tap dance number with the pink glitter vests were really fabulous, especially because you know they got into them so fast and they appear. And I was like, you know what? Here's the sad thing. I bet that happened once. Like, I could see that really happening. And then the final pageant scene when they do the American Moses. <laughs> where they found things to look like they were going on Ugandan version of Trek. Yes, where they were making the journey from um, 
Well, I know they were uh, from, from Nauvoo. Nauvoo, thank you. I was like, it's in Illinois. Mm-hmm. Come on, from Nauvoo to Salt Lake City, and mm-hmm. I was just like, this is fabulous because I literally I've been to one pageant before where they presented like that story um, many moons ago, and I was just like, I'm back there because you know they were they all made. Listen, this the the church and their members take so much pride, and it's very admirable. So they, they will, you know, they, they put their love and everything into, like, making costumes and everything, you know. And it's really cool. It is really, really cool. So to see that put in that way, like, to have that little nugget in there where everyone's like, oh, cool, you got, like, these poor Ugandans aren't doing a show. And I was like, no, this is actually, like, you don't understand the pageant thing that happens every summer and the trek and everything. Like, this is really freaking clever. This is a smart mm-hmm. joke. I'm going to just sit here in my own little bubble and really enjoy this moment. Right. Well, because just to give you a brief explanation, Trek is something that all of the LDS kids in the surrounding areas do where they go and they pull handcarts. Yeah, they they basically reenact the, the, the LDS pioneers arriving in Salt Lake City. They go, they pull handcarts in that for a few miles kind of out in the mountain west on the old trail that was the actual mm-hmm. trail that the LDS people took and they're dressed in this the yeah. clothing that they would have worn and then and in so. July as we get near Pioneer Day which is the 24th they'll have reenactments of, of, of the, the pageant of the story of um, how Joseph Smith found the plates and all that and, and, and the Mormon pioneers so you know it's it's cool. It's look. It's it's history and it's culture, and it's something unique. And who would have thought that <laughs> us living somewhere all of a sudden would be this huge blockbuster show? And we'd be like, "You're getting it on one level, but there's a whole other level that you're not understanding." Mm-hmm. Um, the last thing I want to mention is I loved the Mormon pageant looks. I keep mentioning that, but when I say that, like, when the show opens and they're introducing kind of the story, mm-hmm. and so they have, you know, Moroni's look and Joseph Smith's look and that kind of thing, oh, my freaking gosh. Like, they nail the look with the wig and, you know, because it's Anne Roth... And and I can't think of the the, the um, I wanna I wanna make sure I give credit so just give me a moment. Anne Roth and Josh Marquette and Randy Houston Mercer, which is the costume hair and makeup designers, nailed the um, look because they're literally just like jumping off of the paintings that are up in the churches. Yes. With the way the the hair is styled in those paintings and that, so I adored it. You know. Um, and I think that's important. You know, a lot of people, like I said, they think it's a caricature. And I'm like, guys, no, this is... If if you want to have... To, to, to experience the show on another level, I encourage you to pay a visit to an LDS church or take in a service if you feel that way. And, and you will experience the show on a whole other level. You know, I am definitely not advocating or, or, or promoting the LDS church in any way because I'm not a member or any of that. But... You know, being able to see the portraits that hang in their church to understand where some of these ideas came from is helpful. I mean, you could also probably just do a Google search. Um, but I really thought they nailed that that look. 
yes. very well. 100%. And I think helping that would be the next box we should take, which is lights. Mm-hmm. I mean, the lighting was just very dynamic. Um, it was able to give us, you know, add to that warm, cool thing, but also helped things feel very sharp and clean cut. Yes. Yes. I also thought it emphasized those warm tones that we were talking about in the uh, set. Um, it, it, I don't know. I don't want to like play it down, you know. I mean, it wasn't anything like, oh my gosh, reinvention. But it also wasn't like horrible. It, it did exactly what it needed to do, and and I didn't need to write home about it because it was that good. Mm-hmm. It didn't catch. I mean, okay. So here's the thing about design elements. Sometimes when they don't catch your eye, they're really good for that reason. You sometimes don't want them to stand out, if that makes sense. If, you notice some, if you're noticing design elements sometimes, other things might be falling through the cracks, the story, or you might be like, oh, I'm noticing lighting because it's not so great. So the fact that I'm like, the lighting just was good, that's a good thing. Because I wasn't, I, I, I'm not sitting here going, I couldn't see so-and-so or it was a little distracted. No, it was great. It emphasized everything. I thought the execution of focusing, focus lighting, especially during the opening number where they appear at the different doors was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Turn it off with the running joke of the clap on, clap off was great. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, I believe. Yes. You know, so the lighting was wonderful. And that leads us to... Direction. Yes. I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. Nicola. <laughs> um, it's the direction was fantastic. It was crude and hilarious. Well, and it the timing was great. Yes, <laughs> it, it, it's a, this is a wonderful example of a comedic masterpiece. You know, um, it, in comedy, timing is everything, and so to have a brilliant director who obviously knows that. Um, and I guess co-director in Casey Nicola and Trey Parker, and to have a cast that also embraces that, and I'm sure to have that just that great dynamic, that chemistry, which is obvious in the final product, um, it's brilliant. Um, I thought that the there was brilliant ramp up to the fabulous jokes and moments. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't just we were at a we were at a ten the whole time. We were able to ebb and flow. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was great because you know there were moments when you really were just outright just what is it R R O F L right rolling rolling on the floor laughing yes there you go ruffling guffawing you know but then there are other moments where you're just like you know we have to have those moments we have to have those highs and lows so I thought the staging was also really brilliant it was very simple. We had different levels, which was nice. Mm-hmm. It wasn't all, and, and I mean, not not just like acting levels, but physical levels, mm-hmm. which was really, really great, because that could have been a... Stagnant. Well, yeah. Show. This is Uganda. It's a poor country, apparently. It's all one. No, it showed different levels, different heights, which helped. Um, I thought overall the it was a great story with great experiences. Um, the, I love that there was a journey... I know that sounds really cheesy, but, like, it was a journey you weren't expecting. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, you know, it's the Book of Mormon, and it's been 11 years, but, you know, you, you, you didn't, I don't think you saw Cunningham doing what he did and being as successful on Price. You know, you maybe saw the downfall there of the overconfident guy, but you didn't see him 
coming to the aid of Cunningham and being like, you know what? F this and that. Like, we're going to do our own thing, you know? And it's like... I also like because that idea because it really brought out the idea. When you stop and think about it, the fact at the end they're going, no, you're all part of the church because of this, this, and this. You know, it's almost like we'll start our own church. And I'm like, that's literally how modern churches are started. Yep. And I'm just like, take a moment to look out at the audience and make them realize, like, you know, do you understand how many religions and churches exist? Because one person or two people were like, you're telling me I'm wrong, but I disagree with you. I'm pretty sure I'm right. Fine. We're going to go practice our own beliefs mm-hmm. over here. And then, you know. And that's all religion is. Hey. You know, it's just people going, eh, I kind of agree with you, but I definitely don't agree with you in a lot of ways. Yeah. So we're just going to scooch on over. So that really added to the brilliant satirization of it all. And, and, and the last thing I want to say about the, the, the direction is the true mark of great direction is when there is just that wonderful marrying and cohesion of all the elements. For the director to be able to bring everyone to the table and make sure everything is just flowing and connecting and speaking to each other and just really gelling. That is great. That's what you want in a show. So, um, shall we move on to the next thing? Yes, um, we should definitely talk about the music because you can't save the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon, Mormon. Or, or just any of the songs get stuck in your head. Hello! Yeah. <laughs> you know, just the, the whole thing is an earworm that just gets stuck in there. I can't think of one song that I'm like, eh, I don't like that one. No, it's... No, every single one of them is good. Yeah, it's a fantastic score. Um, it's a fun it won score. the Grammy, um, so it's obviously good. It, it climbed up the charts. I think it was the highest climbing musical theater album. Uh, uh, I don't want to say of all time, but I was reading somewhere. I know it reached number three, and it was saying it was like the highest musical theater album I'll say of recent history but I was like I I think Hamilton is well now I'm like yeah I was like Hamilton six even a strange loop now I'm like we should update information um I love that it poked fun at other shows right out the gate they were not like um this is our this is Trey Parker and Matt Stone's first musical you know, introduction on Broadway. They've already, you know, I remember when South Park premiered, mm-hmm. and it was already like, you know, it was Comedy Central, but still, it was like, we don't everyone, care what you think. Everyone knows what Eric Cartman sounds like. Well, but the, it was it was so taboo. Mm-hmm. It was, I mean, moms are protesting everywhere about South Park. You know, it's gonna corrupt the youth, and we're all gonna go to hell. I mean, it was. They, oh, they, I remember. And, and and even to this day, there there there's no. There's nothing they won't do, say, or, or go after. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so the fact that they were like, now we're going to go on stage, and one of the things they immediately go after is we're going to include some of this music from other shows like Wicked, Lion King, and other stuff. I was like, that's a bold move, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off, you know? But it was mm-hmm. so clever. And there are songs that I hear, and I can hear those other shows, you know? Yes. In my head, you know, you and me, but mostly me. I just want to finish it. 
but mostly me. Bum, 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 yes. Dun, 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 you know. Ah. Yes. So, um, the only other song I want to mention, because I just can't get over it. it, and I think it's one of the funniest moments in the show, and I don't understand why more people don't recognize it, but when they're baptizing all the villagers, they sing the song, I am Africa. Which, okay, before you say your comment, I want to say that it is a little bit like Africa by Toto. Yes. But, but it's also... like a we are the world, heal the world from like the 80s, 90s kind of thing. And so you have all these white guys singing about Africa and how they are Africa. And it just comes off like those telephones from the 80s and 90s where you had a bunch of white people singing to like help the famine in Africa kind of thing. And I was like, this is just too funny. Because you want to talk about privilege. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh. So every time I see the show and I hit see that song, I'm like, this is hilarious. And everyone's just kind of like giggling. And I'm like, you were older than me. Like, how are you not remembering, you know? Oh my gosh. So anyway, music is fabulous. The last thing I want to, I think we need to talk about, and I want to talk about is a choreography. Because it's Casey Nicola. Can't, can't do a show with Casey Nicola at the helm and not talk about choreography. It's brilliant. Where the choreography is, it is brilliant. There is tap, and I love the tap. Of course there's tap. Mm -hmm. And turn it off. Mm -hmm. It's so good. I mean, even, I mean, to go back to We Are Africa, or I Am Africa, the like, like... The poses and whatnot. That they do, and it's just ridiculous, but beautiful. Anyway, um... (laughs) Yeah, so I love that. I love the finale um, with everything. I love the use of isolation in the choreography. Mm-hmm. Because that's one thing. This was the, in my recent memory, this is the least cardio choreography. That's a new term I'm coining. It Casey Nicola is the king of cardio choreography. Mm-hmm. How is that for alliteration? Um, when you see certain shows that, like The Prom... Or Aladdin, I believe, if I'm thinking right. Um, I'm drawing a blank right now, and I apologize. I could use some more coffee. But um, you know it's Casey Nicola's work, because like, the dancers are just... Uh, mean Girls, there's, there's the other one I was thinking of. They're just like all out, going crazy, you know. It, it, is, it is a workout. They don't need to have gym days. They just need to do their show. Um, this for me, I was like, there's, there's not as much, you know, crazy choreography like we would expect, but it was, it was still like very masterful because even in slower movement or isolated movement, it worked so freaking well. We had turn it off. We had, you mentioned I'm Africa. We had, um, oh, man up. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another big number in, in Act 2 with the missionaries that I can't remember right now. Um, you had Spooky Mormon Hell Dream. Mm-hmm. You know, so the choreography was wonderful. I love Casey Nicola's choreography. I yeah. really do. I, could, I, I can't wait to see what he's going to do next. I, get, I always get excited when you he's see doing Casey, li- Casey Nicola's name on the list? Yeah. Yeah. So. The show has had several notable performers, including Andrew Reynolds, 
Josh Gad, Nikki M. James, Rory O'Malley, Gavin Krill, Gray Hansen, Derek Williams, Ben Platt, and Matt Doyle. Let's now talk about the impact this show has had on the theater and its history. I mean, it really hasn't been that impactful of a show. I don't know, you know. Uh, <laughs> we've, we've spent the last probably hour talking about this show. I don't think it's... No, look, it brought an incredibly irreverent and funny show to Broadway. And I would say this is now an iconic show. Yes. When, when they continue to write books on Broadway, when I continue to write my books on Broadway, my memoirs... Um, you know, this is this is going to be one of those shows that just, you know, on a timeline, there it it's going to have it, a picture. It made a big impact. Yeah. Um, I mean, also the fact that the show didn't do any like, it didn't do any big workshops. It kind of started workshop and then just went, bam, we're going to Broadway. There was no, yeah, they didn't do any out of town trial or anything like that. They were just like, we're gonna. The fact that that financial risk that was taken to make that happen and how well it has paid off for them. It recouped in nine months. Can you yeah. believe that? I mean, that's that's amazing. Talk about not knowing whether or not your audiences are going to, you know, like what you're putting out there. But uh, yeah. especially with how taboo the material is, yes. it was a huge risk and it definitely paid off. It, it, and with that, it introduced a new style or topic of discussion to the musical stage. I know religion has been there already, but to criticize religion that way, to criticize, to kind of hold up a mirror and say, you do what you're doing has good intentions, but are you doing good intentions kind of thing with your religion? You know? mm-hmm. And I think especially at that time when there was so much being done in the name of religion, and they were saying, look, it's... If your religion is telling you to do things like kill or whatever, or discriminate or hate, you might need a new religion. And I think that this show was, in a satirical way, showing, yeah, numbers aren't everything. Mm-hmm. You know, there is something to be said about understanding these stories, understanding the parables being taught, the ideas being taught, practice what you preach, that kind of thing. Well, and I think another impact that it made is it showed that crude humor also has a root. There's also room for crude humor on the Broadway stage. Yes. Um, and that crude humor can still have a positive, meaning, heartfelt message. Yes. I'm, I want to piggyback on that and say it brought a new style, voice, and generation of creators to Broadway. Yes. Matt Stone, Trey Parker, really ushering in this new. You know, why can't we be, why can't the Comedy Central generation, if you will, be on, on the stage? Why not? Right, because we tiptoed with it with Avenue Q. We made a lot of leaps towards it with Avenue Q, but we didn't really dive into the pool and, until and, and this, is, this is purely speaking as musical theater. Yes. You don't want to, I mean, plays have, plays have plays, always yeah, done. Plays always push the envelope here and everywhere, but musicals tend to 
I don't want to say be safe, but you know. It's, they cost a lot more money, so it's harder to take larger risks. Yes, yes, that is perfect. Perfect. So, moving on to the societal impact, um, it was a huge satirization of religion. Not just one religion, but religion in general. Mm-hmm. It was a huge blockbuster success. It continues to be, and you know, at the time and now. It brought droves of people who normally maybe not have seen a Broadway show or don't normally see Broadway shows, but now wanted to see this because they were familiar with the subject. So to say, you know, maybe they, like I said, had a brush with the Elias Church or whatever. Like everyone, I feel like everyone somewhere somehow knows of the Elias Church in some way. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they might not recognize it at first, but when you start talking about it, they're like, oh well, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you say Mormon, most people know what that yeah. means. And the other big thing I thought it did was, like, Red brought the MTV generation to um, the the theater. I thought this show also brought the MTV and the Comedy Central audience to the Broadway theater because, you know, Trey Parker and Matt Stone wrote a musical. this is decades later. Yeah, and they were like, we we love South Park, and South Park they made into a musical, and, oh, now I want to go see what these guys did. Well, and it made them go that, like, oh, if they can make a cartoon musical that I like, and these people made a stage musical that I like, maybe I actually do like musicals, unlike I didn't think I did. Exactly, and all of a sudden they were like, wait, they can do this in a musical? And everyone looked around, and they're like, well, we might not be that crew, but you should maybe see this and that, you know. And it, it, it did it. As my favorite phrase goes, it brought a whole new generation to the theater. Um, and it began to question decades and centuries of religious practices and ways of life and really look at them and criticize them under a magnifying glass. And those effects that, those, those effects that religion has on third world countries. Yes, so, is the, this show still relevant? In a world where the biggest thing that determines who wields power are quote values, absolutely. This is a show that reminds us that a higher idea can be good when it's used for good, but blind following can also be a very bad thing. Questions and questioning is not a terrible idea. And with it, using the idea of comedy to deliver this message, and musical comedy in particular, I think it continues to remain timeless. So my vote is yes. Yeah, I mean, all of the themes of the show are something that have always happened, will always continue to happen. And I think that it's a good, I mean, it's a good message to view whether you're a religious person or a non-religious person. Well put. Finally, as promised, we wanted to share some of our own personal stories about experiencing this show. We have had the good fortune to see the show five times. So we've seen it twice in Salt Lake in 2016 and in 2018, and three times on Broadway in 2012, 13, and 2021. Now, I didn't get to see it in 2021. Oh, sorry about you running the music, man. What a shame. Womp womp. Um, so I want to start back back in the 801 
back in Salt Lake. The, so the four three five, the three. No, it's the three eight five. Three eight five four three five is also one of the. We have three area cut. Doesn't matter anyway. <laughs> so no, we we can. This is backed up. We we can back this information, this opinion up, not only by ourselves and by audience members, by by actual cast members, friends of ours who are in the show and who are in the pit. This show is so much funnier in Salt Lake. Yes. The cast even agrees because everyone in the room gets the joke that much more or even picks up on the inside joke. So Yeah. I mean, it's it's hilarious seeing it on Broadway. It's even funnier in Salt Lake because you're in a room full of people that are like, like I said, they, about me. <laughs> they just they pick up on the joke a little bit more. You know, like I said, when I, I was sitting there going, oh my gosh, it's the pageant scene. And everyone's like, oh, it's cute. They're doing a little pageant. And I'm like, you don't understand what this is. This is mocking a, a, an annual thing. You know, everyone when they the talk about their over. wards or stuff like that, like people are like, oh, I get it. Yes, absolutely. You know, the Utah jazz joke goes over huge in, in, in Salt Lake. So... I, I love um, when it comes to Salt Lake. And we saw it once at the Capitol Theater, and then we saw the new Eccles Theater, which was cool. Yes. Um, a lot of people are surprised to hear that, one, it's played in Salt Lake. But fun fact, this show, when the first time it came in 2015, sold out in 30 minutes. It had a, it was scheduled to do a five-day run. The ticket sold out five minutes or 30 minutes flat. Boom. So they extended. They added three more shows. 15 minutes gone this show they, they didn't I mean, they couldn't believe it. they're like oh my gosh and I was like well you got two groups of people those of us that are like I can't wait to see the show and then people that were like I'm curious like okay. and then it, oh I guess there was a third group of people that had no idea what it was and good bless them because they're probably like oh the book of Mormon like and I was like oh no mm-hmm. oh no 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 <laughs> and you just were like I, I'm not the praying type, but I pray for you. Yes. Because by the third number, you were like, oh, no. Because here's the thing. I may not be LDS, but my friends who are LDS, I care about their feelings. So it's like I have a, a very good friend that's LDS that I won't swear around her because I know it upsets her. She's never once asked me. Just I just know. do it out of respect, right. and so it's kind of that moment when you're when you're what when you're doing the Hasadiga Ibuai number, and you're just like you you have a friend with you that's LDS, and you're like, I forgot this number existed. And you I'm just so you sorry. lean over to them, and you're like, if you can make it through this, you can make it through anything. There's one other moment in Act <laughs> Two that's gonna shock you, but I promise, if you can make it through this. Hold my hand. It'll be okay. Because you want to protect them, but then also, like, I've had friends that are LDS that are still members of the church that are like, yes, that show was funny, and I get it. Yeah. So I I love that it plays Salt Lake, and, and the audience is so receptive. The other thing that I want to point out, and I don't, I have to look at my playbill here in New York, but I know that for sure in Salt Lake. I love, like, hats off to the LDS church for having a slight sense of humor, they take a full page ad out in the playbills in Salt Lake and it's a picture of the Book of Mormon and it just says, our story is a little bit different. Come visit us to find out more. Right, and then they <laughs> and put the like, address and they're like, we're just a block away from the theater. Yeah, and I was like, that's, that's funny. That's that good for you for having a sense of humor. So now I want to go back to Broadway, if we can. 
Um, so, you know, we'd seen it three times. Um, and obviously 2021, this didn't happen because COVID is awful. But I remember meeting the cast after the show, which was amazing, including the guy who was in the PTC, what was it, Elf? He played the Elf? He played Buddy the Elf? No. No, no that was the guy from Jersey Boys. The guy who played Elder McKinley yes. was in something at PTC. I just can't remember what it was. Oh, okay. Um, but, you know, it, he recognized you. Um, and, you know, but he was great. He was nice. Talked to us. Lame is. Uh, that's why I was like, I know he recognized you. And I was just there like, hi. I'm Mrs. Hope. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so that was amazing. Now, okay, full disclosure, here we go. We're going to talk to you. I mean, we're going to sound privileged ourselves. So we saw the show in 2013, so or 2012, so a year after it opened. Cause tickets, tickets were mad were, expensive. Yeah, the year. <laughs> yeah, no. So the first time we saw the show, somehow we ended up in the orchestra, yeah, which is cool. But... Um, we saw the first replacements for the you know Andrew Reynolds and Josh Gad, and I just remember like at intermission thinking to myself, "Wow, this was so much funnier in my head." Like I was underwhelmed. I was like mm-hmm. bummed too because I was like, "We spent all this money on these tickets, and this isn't as good as I thought it was going to be." I've been obsessed with the music. Yeah, I played the soundtrack nonstop, um, and as we were talking, you know. People started overhearing around us that we were from Utah. So, of course, they were like, oh, my gosh, you must be loving this show. And it must be so funny for you. And, and everything, you know. And we were like, yeah, are you no, from? Are, I mean, are you Mormons? Yeah, and we're like, no. But they kept pressing on. And, and then they were like, you know. And I bet all this is true, right? I mean, everything is true. You know, this is uh, based on a true story. Da, 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 da. And I was like, what? No, they do, you, do you really think this is all real? You know, and that's when I realized, like, some of these people didn't connect the dots about like this is a satirization. Yeah, because you can they don't even have a mission in Uganda because of how dangerous it is. Right, exactly. <laughs> I was like, this this is quite the farce. Like it's a comedy that they're they're exaggerating things. And so I was like, oh my god, I, these are the people that are coming. Oh my god. Well, we went back the next year, and we sat up in the mezzanine. So I don't know. Maybe this the mezzanine is our jam. Because when we sat in the mezzanine, it was so much better. It was so funny. It was so good. And I was like, this, yes, I get it. Loving it. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Um, so, I, yeah, the second time we saw it, it was chef's kiss. So much better. Um, now, you, you didn't get to share this experience. I'm sorry. You were, you were a little busy, you know, working on Broadway. Life's hard. Um, when I got to see it last fall, post shutdown, I absolutely love it. They came back with fervor and fierceness, which is great. But I love the updates they did. Uh, you know, I think they wisely took the time during the shutdown to just tune a few things up and update some of the book to tweak it a little. That might have, you know, there there there's a fine line between like. We're making an offensive joke and then just being offensive. Mm-hmm. And you need to be funny but not cr- like ha- crude and harsh. Everyone needs to be laughing with you. You need to be laughing with people, not at someone. Yes. 
And so they, they changed a little bit of the book to address that. And then they also updated things like instead of a typewriter, it's a tablet. Okay. Which I thought was great because how much e-waste we have in the world, you know. Um, so I thought that was really, really clever. Um, before we just close out the show, I just want to like give a blanket apology if we've said anything that's offended anyone. I mean, you, we're dealing with a show that addresses religion and a church, which, you know, that's one of those things you just don't talk about at a dinner table. Um, but, you know, I, I hope we've done it in, the, in a delicate way that hasn't offended too many people. But if we have, you know, always reach out to us and let us know. We, we never intend to single out or offend or upset anyone that listens. Um, but, yeah, I just I figured let us offer an apology now in case we did. Because, um, yeah, you, you are, you, we do not, that's not our intention. We want you to feel accepted and loved and safe. And, and we just want to let theater. you know about the shows that are out there. And that yeah. way you can get a taste for it here and decide if it's something your palate can handle in person. Yeah. <laughs> and with that, we want to just, you know, remind you, theater's back. Theater's back. You watch the Tonys. Broadway's back. And we hope you can join us in a seat right next to us soon. You'll be able to catch the Book of Mormon eight times a week at the Eugene O'Neill Theater at 230 West, 49th Street, here in New York City. We also want to remind you that you can become a producer and a patron on the show by getting your backstage pass. And by doing this, you can help us to continue to bring you this content and provide you with information of the happenings here in New York City, both on and off Broadway. You can help enable us to continue to do what we do. We have a couple of really awesome different packages. All levels of support um, will help us out just so we can continue to see shows to help provide you with context uh, for the shows you want to see. More information about our Backstage Pass can be found at patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. So until next time, I'm Elder Andrew Cortez. And I'm Sister Hope Bird. Reminding you to turn off your cell phones. Unwrap your candies and keep your masks on. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Fox by Music for Wildlife. Other music on this episode provided by John Bartman, Jazzar, and Billy Murray.